need nothing, appreciate everything, have it all. Welcome to the podcast that helps you architect your most self-authorized, productive, and fulfilled life. Join action philosopher Jesse Elder on a journey to greater joy, freedom, and wealth of every kind as he shares insights gained from the leading edge of liberated living. The hardest part is accepting just how easy success can be. And now, Jesse. Hi, this is Jesse Elder, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast. Uh, I was going to say my podcast, but it's, it's more of uh, our podcast in the sense that, you know, this whole dialogue and everything that we're going to be talking about on this show and during this experience, uh, it really is a, a sort of collaboration, uh, just like uh, I've seen happen on social media and just like, you know, we've seen on, on Facebook and YouTube. This is such an audience-focused experience, and I just have so much appreciation to you for uh, giving your time and your energy and exploring what you might find here. You know, there's so much great information out there on mindset, on productivity, on, you know, spirituality, whatever whatever that means, uh, on growth, on optimization, how to be a better person, and how to really get results in all these other areas of your lives. You know, how do you, how do you have a better body and how do you, how do you create relationships that are, that are deep and meaningful and you could create this, this sort of positive energy loop with the people that are in your life so that you are continually experiencing deeper love and fulfillment. I mean, these are, these are the practical applications of all this mindset stuff. And there's so much information out there. So I'm not ever going to claim to know the truth or, or, um, you know, live the truth. I actually stopped asking myself what's true uh, a long time ago. I just started asking what's useful. And that approach, uh, which I'll share more uh, with you about in this, uh, in this episode, that approach has led to some really interesting experiences and a lot of growth. And I've discovered that the hardest part of growing uh, and seeing actual results, the hardest part is accepting how easy it can actually be. And so that's my intention in this podcast and in all of these episodes is to share with you strategies and philosophies and some actual steps that I've observed and that I've seen happen with clients and, and people that I've gotten to connect with. Uh, things really can get easier. You know, that doesn't mean you're not going to experience pain or we're not going to experience some, some effort, uh, but there really doesn't have to be any suffering. And that's been uh, something that, that I've observed throughout my life. So welcome. Uh, I'm really glad you're here. The, the path, you know, the journey, how did this whole thing unfold? I mean, I, I never set out to be this guy who teaches on social media or has a podcast or, or you know, is a coach or teacher or whatever. I was just always really curious. Uh, and I was curious, quite frankly, about how I could end some of the struggles that I was going through. And, you know, I've had a, I've had a good life. You know, I, I don't, I don't have a, a, uh, an incredible, you know, wh horrible thing that happened to me that I had to overcome. Um, and yet in the process of living, uh, I've been gifted with some fantastically painful experiences. Um, so painful that I was forced to pay attention I was forced to become present to what was happening. I couldn't ignore it. 
And through those processes, as well as a lot of other adventures along the way, I found a few things that uh, I didn't see talked about anywhere else. And that's my intention behind everything that I share is just sharing these, these ideas and these steps. I was, uh, I was born in Austin. And my father was a uh, was a school teacher. My mom was a nurse, although she moved out of that profession to uh, raise me and my brothers and and my sister. So there's five of us. And my dad, being a school teacher, it was kind of interesting because he was observing what was happening in his own classroom within the you know the environment of a public school system. And one of the decisions he and my mom made is that they didn't want their kids to go to school. So. You know, we were one of those homeschooling families in, in South Texas, you know, during the during the 80s. And it was an awesome experience. Uh, you know, I, I do get questions from time to time. People say, you know, well, what, you know, what kind of curriculum did you follow? And what was the syllabus? And, you know, what sort of method did you use? And uh, all I remember really is the method was do your chores in the morning and uh, we'll see you at dinner. I mean, that was kind of the, the, the approach. And, you know, this is not a recommendation and, and nothing that I share is a, is a description of what you should do or, or what's right. Uh, I'm just sharing my experience and, and what has worked uh, for me and what I've observed. So one of the things that happened is I grew up never taking a test. Um, you know, I never sat behind a desk. I never, I never was in a classroom. And that's actually become sort of an interesting phenomenon. The more time that's passed and and the more that my life unfolds, uh, I observe that that love of learning that we're all born with, that natural curiosity and this this sort of uh, like inner giddiness about, you know, learning something new. Isn't that cool? I want to learn that. We're all born with that. Every single one of us is born with that natural spark to grow and to explore and, and to expand. And, you know, it just kind of happened that I, I grew up um, in, a, in an environment, in a family environment, and, and then later through life, I grew up in an environment where that love of learning was never, uh, was never really snuffed out, you know, it was never really challenged. Now, you might be hearing that thinking, okay, cool, Jesse, good for you, man. Uh, I went to school and I studied and I did things I didn't want to do, or hey, I loved school, you know, why are you knocking school? I'm really not. I'm just saying that that love for learning is something that's inside of us. It's a part of every human life. And in fact, if we're not learning on a continual basis, if we're not enjoying these glorious mistakes as we're getting better at something that's that's fascinating for us, if we're not experiencing that, then we're actually not going to be fulfilled. You know, we're not going to feel really happy with our life or ourselves. And that's a big part of why I decided to start doing this work. Um, and, and that goes all the way back to, you know, back when I was a kid, even. I, I started doing martial arts when I was nine years old and was immediately fascinated with the, you know, the looks and the, you know, the, the, the moves and the energy. And, and I was not very good. Uh, <laughs> but in my mind, I was Bruce Lee. And so uh, I was really lucky to have instructors and, and my, my family, my parents, who just didn't interfere <laughs> with that vision that I had in my head. Nobody told me I wasn't Bruce Lee. They're like, yeah, you go, boy, you get it. And as a result of that, I would spend hours in our living room. We, we lived in, uh, in the valley in South Texas. We, had a little, we actually lived in a trailer. Um, that's a whole other sort of interesting story. We'll 
maybe get into later. There might be some lessons there. Um, but my father was working uh, at that time as a director for a halfway house for Central American refugees. And we lived in a little trailer next door. So I'd spend hours in this hot <laughs> little tiny trailer with this this sort of, if you've ever seen a trailer or lived in a trailer, you know that the, the carpet has this very unique uh, sort of crusty <laughs> Uh, feel to it. It's, it's not really like this plush thing that you might find in, in other homes, actual homes. But I would stand on that crusty carpet, bunching up under my feet, sweating because we didn't have air conditioning, and I would make up these moves. I would just go through these routines in my mind, and I'd be playing music you know, on this little, little uh, tape deck that I had and making up all these routines. And I lived in my head a lot, but martial arts helped me to get out of my head and get into my body. And it was really then that I began to understand the connection. I didn't really understand it for years, but that's when I began to experience the connection between our thoughts uh, and our bodies, our emotions. And so my day really consisted of waking up in the morning, doing some chores, and then uh, practicing martial arts in the living room, reading. I would read for sometimes five, six hours a day. I I really didn't have a ton of friends. Um, I was kind of, I was, I was shy. Um, so I lived in my head a lot. I did all these physical things. I was training martial arts and that pattern just sort of continued, uh, all the way up until uh, I was around 15 years old. And that's when I began helping in the class that I was teaching or that, that I was taking. I started helping in the class and that's when a, a whole new sort of addiction was formed. I realized that I could share some of the things that I had done in practice and training. And I just saw the look that happened on other people's faces. Their little light bulbs would go on. And that was something that was really meaningful for me because I remember how frustrating it was not to know, you know, what practice to do, what drill to do. You know, you can't just look at the technique and download it in your mind like, you know, Neo with the Matrix. You have to practice. And so there's, there's got to be a sort of love of practice. And that practice became such a huge part of my life Um even even before I began helping other people, there was there was a, an incredibly uh, challenging period when I was 10, 10, 11 years old, where this uh, phase of life that our family was in, my father had taken this job uh, as a director for for a halfway house. It was sponsored by the church in the valley, and one of the things that that they did was shelter people, Salvadoran refugees and and uh, Guatemalan refugees who were uh, fleeing their country coming to the U.S. Uh, and yeah, they were totally here illegally. And, and this is not really a political statement. It's just what I observed growing up as a kid. And my father was helping these people. And one of the, uh, one of the effects of that is my mother came and, and sat me down one day and she said, do you know what the word indictment means? I said, no. And she said, well, she explained to me what it meant. And uh, she said, your father's been indicted for aiding and abetting illegal aliens because it was his job as a a director of this halfway house to shelter and sometimes give them rides to the bus station. And and for the next couple of years, our family was really uh, the focal point of uh, a lot of media attention. You know, this whole sanctuary movement, as it was known back then. Uh, and my father sort of became a, a spokesperson for this. And it was a really tough time for our family because there was lots of reporters. Uh, my father went to trial and he was acquitted. 
But during the process and during all these these immediate interviews and, and reporters in our living room crowded into this, this little trailer, uh, it became apparent to me as I was watching these interviews and I'd, you know, I'd be in the, in, the, in the other bedroom, but I'd hear what was going on. And the theme that my father was expressing consistently is that this is important work. And yes, it's actually against federal law, but I can't not do it. And so if that means breaking the law to follow my conscience, I'm going to do that. And I didn't recognize that until years later. And, and again, this is not in any way a political statement. You, you know, you have your beliefs and, and, and I'm not here to say what's right and what's wrong. But on a, on a human level, in the, in the mind of, of my you know, 10-year-old, 11-year-old self, observing that decision that my father and my mother made to do what they thought was right, regardless of the consequence, uh, that created a very powerful reference. It created a really powerful foundation for decisions that I would make later on in life. And I think that this may be one of the, the more sort of confrontational, but it is a useful lesson. Every time we look inside our own hearts, our own intuition, and if we look at, hey, what's right for me right now? You know, yes, I've accepted all these other obligations and responsibilities. I've said yes to all these other goals and, and objectives and responsibilities. But it's, it's been my observation over this whole journey that if a commitment that we made in the past is no longer energizing and in, in full alignment with what you really want to do and what you really want to be and, and have and experience in this life, if that commitment that was made in the past is no longer energizing, does it really make sense to keep approaching it the same way without that alignment and without feeling good about it, you know, either, either get to feeling good about it through understanding your own mind and, and your own beliefs or make some different choices because you always have a choice. And that was one of the lessons that I really got out of that whole phase. And as it turns out, my father was arrested again and this time he was convicted. And I remember sitting in the, in the courtroom as the uh, foreman of the jury came out and said, uh, Your Honor, we, the jury, find the defendant, Jack Elder, guilty. And they started going through the counts, you know, the guilty counts of aiding and abetting illegal aliens. And I was sitting in the courtroom with my mom there and my brothers. And um, I, I just remember hearing that and doing the math in my head. And with every count that the jury was was laying down, that was seven years federal time. That was seven years in federal prison. That was what the, the maximum sentence was. And so my 10-year-old brain didn't understand anything, really. I just heard the worst case scenario. And by the time they finished giving out the, the, uh, the counts, I'd done the math in my head. And, and the decision that my brain made is that I'm never going to see my dad again. And it took me some it took me years before I understood the impact of that uh, experience because that was really when I grew up uh, emotionally because the decision that I made in the, in the face of that news and in that shock, the decision I made is that since my dad isn't going to be here anymore, I have to be the one to take care of my mom and take care of my siblings. There's no logic to that, right? 
but our brains don't always operate <laughs> completely logically. We, we are very emotional beings. We receive information. We make an emotional judgment about it. And then, you know, we sort of fill it in with logic. And, and that's kind of how our, our, our brains and our bodies operate. And so that was a, a fairly traumatizing experience, you know, 10 years old to, to be confronted with the news that I'm not, not going to see my dad again. Now, as it turns out, he actually didn't go to prison. He actually was sentenced to five months in a, in a halfway house near our home, this time in, in San Antonio. And so he never left. He never really went away. But the lesson was really still driven deep. And the lesson was, you do what's right, regardless of the consequences. And this has become a major theme uh, in my observations of people who are, are deeply fulfilled. You know, people who live their lives with no inner resistance. When resistance does come up, what is resistance? Well, conflict, inner conflict, you know, thinking one thing, saying something else while, you know, wanting a third thing, that's conflict. You know, that's, that's being out of alignment. And one thing that I've observed is that when people are in alignment, when, they're, when they really are thinking and feeling and, and behaving in ways that are congruent with their values and their desires, well, all the resistance goes away. You're not fighting yourself anymore. And life has a really interesting way of rewarding people who are in alignment. And this is something that I've just observed continuously. I mean, I've, I've taught a lot of classes at this point, and I've worked with probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world through virtual trainings and, and live classes and all this stuff. And what I observe every time is that when someone decides, and it's a simple decision, when someone decides to trust themselves and to make their own perceptions, their own decisions, their own values, and most importantly, when someone decides to make their own feelings the most important thing in their life, a sort of mystery starts to unfold, a, a real sort of, I don't know, practical magic in a way. It, it defies any sort of logical description. I don't know how it works. I just know that it does. And every time I see someone put themselves at the top of the list of people that they're going to take care of, their influence expands dramatically. All of a sudden, they begin to become more radiant and more magnetic. They become more influential. And bottom line is they just become happier because they're not fighting with their own inner demons, their own inner resistances. And that's really what this whole podcast experience is going to be about, You know, sharing those concepts and sharing those ideas. So in my own life, this continued to unfold as I began teaching classes now. I was 15 years old. Um, growing up in, in San Antonio, where we moved back to. And we had this little, it's not little for me, it was huge. It was just our home. It's where our whole family lived. There's seven of us by this point. And a couple of times a week, I'd walk across the backyard. I'd go to the alley, walk a block down the alley and uh, walk up to the corner of Rigsby and Caton. And there was a little bus stop there. And I'd get on the bus and I'd take a 45 minute bus ride and I'd go train martial arts. I would go take karate class a couple of times a week, usually take a couple of classes. Then I'd get on the bus, come back. Uh, there would be a, a transfer downtown. So now it's like nine o'clock at night. I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. This was a, a very interesting period of my life. I spent a lot of time by myself riding the bus to go train martial arts. 
and sometimes stopping off downtown, going to the library, loading up with books, reading as many of them as I could before my next karate class a few days later. This was my existence. And I'm, I'm simplifying it for the sake of, of uh, <laughs> keeping it brief for you here. But there was a lot of things that, that unfolded for me during that time that really led to my worldview and led to the way that I see things, that I see myself. Training and teaching became uh, my whole existence. And as I was growing up as a teenager with this sort of you know, socially awkward feelings, I had a lot of, uh, I really had low confidence around uh, other kids. You know, I felt really comfortable with adults. In fact, a lot of my friends growing up were my parents' friends, and I felt very comfortable talking to them. I didn't feel so comfortable around kids my age. I had some really good friends, um, but but I was really shy. And so growing up and, you know, being 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, it actually continued beyond that. I was unbelievably awkward, especially around girls. And that was a source of unbelievable pain for me because, you know, I did feel lonely and I, I did feel, you know, you know I, was, I was evolving as a human. I was going through puberty and, and all of the chemical storms that come with that. And uh, it, it was really painful. I felt isolated frequently. Um, even though I was around people that loved me, I had the support of my family, uh, 15, 16, 17 years old, still teaching and training and competing. But in the moment I would step off the mat, you know, finish teaching class or the moment I would uh, leave the tournament and you know, everybody would say, hey, man, great fight today, great match. And I get back on the bus and, uh, and this loneliness would hit uh, and I would just feel uh, really isolated and so it was, a, it was a real experience of extremes. You know, on, on the surface, I had all this connection with people and I was making a difference and uh, I was paying my bills. You know, I, I moved out when I was 17, doing what I love to do, teaching martial arts and, and making enough money to pay a little bit of rent and, and uh, you know, go to a tournament once in a while. But inside, uh, I was really in a lot of turmoil. And that, over the next couple of years, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, as my external experience and, and some success continued to happen in the ring, on the mat, in teaching, uh, my inner experience was becoming increasingly chaotic. And, and I, I really do feel fortunate uh, or, or very appreciative that I, there was never any uh, addictions that came up out of that, not not in a in a classic you know chemical or, or behavioral sense. You know, I, I never did drugs. I I, ne I, I rarely drank. I, I had probably you know a couple of drinks uh, a year at that point. Uh, and then when I was twenty one, I just stopped drinking altogether and just didn't drink for ten years. I never did drugs. I, I never used you know uh, you know relationships or or casual sex as a as a way of trying to distract myself from this pain that I was feeling, uh, but it was there. And I began to dread Saturdays because Saturday meant that Sunday was coming. And Sunday was, for me at that time, and, and for months and months and months on end, Sundays was the day that I, that I feared because Sundays meant no teaching. Sundays meant no training with anybody. Sundays meant that I was by myself. 
And looking back, I realized that that was a choice. You know, there's a lot of other people that I was surrounded by then, people who, who loved me, who liked me, who, you know, cared for me, people who I could have connected with more. But I just felt so isolated and I felt so um, disconnected. And, you know, the way energy works, it doesn't stand still. Uh, everything's either expanding or contracting. It doesn't, uh, doesn't stay in one spot. And in my case, that inner energy, those feelings of loneliness and feeling isolated, feeling so uh, separate from everybody, even in the middle of a crowd, uh, that feeling began to, to build and, and it, it intensified and sort of contracted and it, it started to carry a very dark energy. And I, I became increasingly um, withdrawn. You know, I could force a smile and I could be in a group and I could even teach class for hours and hours on end and, and genuinely feel fulfilled and, and successful and happy and all that. But the moment class was over, uh, that darkness would begin to creep in. And I, I really dreaded Sundays for that reason because I was by myself. And I recognized that that was my choice, but I couldn't seem to choose otherwise. You know, I, I couldn't seem... To, to get out of that loop. And I would lay in bed for hours just feeling this, this sort of oppressive, dark energy. And that intensified over the, over the years. And in my early 20s, you know, 22, 23, when I first opened my, my first martial arts school, for a couple of years, that depression was so thick. But in the early morning, before I'd get myself going, uh, in the middle of the day when I, I couldn't get myself to work my plan that, to grow my school, and then I'd feel bad because I wasn't taking action I knew I should take, what's wrong with me? And then classes would show up, and I'd teach class and be fine, and then the students would go home, and I was back with that darkness. It was always there. And late at night or, or on those Sundays, it got so intense that I, I just started to question my existence. You know, why, why do I even exist? Why am I even here if this pain is so bad and it just, it was not going away? Nothing I'm doing is working. And this pain seems like it's getting worse. Am, am I just a fake? Am I an imposter? You know, I'm acting real happy and I, and I feel it. When I'm teaching, but then when I'm not teaching, this pain is is so intense. Maybe I maybe I don't have a purpose. You know, maybe I maybe maybe I'm an accident. Maybe this whole reality is a joke. You know, what's the point? These are the thoughts and the feelings that would creep into my mind and seem to sort of take me over late at night, in the middle of the night, on Sundays. And I began to question the purpose of my existence. And then I began to question, is it worth me even existing at all? Like, should I even be here? And I hit an emotional bottom. I hit an emotional bottom where I realized this can't get any worse. And for whatever reason, that recognition led to a choice. It led to a choice that I have to be able to do something about this. And I began studying and reading and trying to make sense out of it. And little by little, the energy shifted. Little by little, that darkness started to go away, started to become more manageable. 
And even when it would show up, I wouldn't resist it. I would just sort of try and understand it. And that pain drove me to understand myself. It drove me to understand and ask bigger questions about why am I here? What is life? And as a result of asking those questions, all sorts of new answers started to arrive. And I became obsessed with understanding purpose and understanding meaning and understanding happiness and fulfillment. And I realized that those can actually be constructed, that they can actually be created regardless of what depths of darkness somebody might experience. And then that energy started to work its way into my classes. And I began sharing insights and little life lessons with my students. And then all of a sudden things became really uh, expansive. I, I had tapped into something based on experience that was bigger than me. And for the next 15 years, I continued to teach and train and teach and train. I started to train in marketing and, and business, and I started to expand my schools. And then I started training my staff on how to improve their mindset and overcome their own resistance to being in their purpose, whatever that is. And then they started to succeed. And then that, their students started to improve their own mindset. And pretty soon we just had this little nucleus of action where our schools became sort of a center for personal development, for growth. And we didn't talk about that. We just did it. We didn't get out there and say, we're going to teach you how to be successful. We're like, hey, here's the training. Do the training. Train, train, train. And while they're training, we're talking about focus and confidence and mindset and self-reliance and self-authorization. And we started to see this transformation in these kids that are taking the classes and then the parents that are started to take the class. And pretty soon we had eight schools. We had 53 people on payroll. We were teaching over, over 1,200 people a week. And I did that for years, and it was a beautiful ride. Along the way, I met a woman who I fell in love with, and at uh, 27, I got married. And that was a beautiful relationship and an incredible experience. And she had three children uh, already when we, when we met, and I was in their life for uh, 12 years. We had 11 years of marriage, and... Towards the end of that marriage, it was clear that we had we were growing in different directions. And so for a couple of years, we talked about it and went to therapy and counseling. And, and at the end, it just, it just didn't make sense. You know, it didn't make sense for us to keep trying to be what we weren't. And so uh, that relationship ended in that form and we got divorced. And around the same time of just a few months prior to that, I had made the decision to sell my schools because it wasn't what I was in alignment with anymore. It was a shocking revelation to me to wake up one day and realize, wow, I'm not in love with this business anymore. I'm going to get rid of it. I didn't know how and, and it didn't matter. I had the signal. I knew that I had to make a choice. And little by little, options started to appear. I started to see how I might be able to take some of what I'd learned and somehow share it with people in a way that was valuable. So I sold the schools and then six months later ended up separated and, and then divorced. And so 2013 was a total reset. And I don't know if you've ever had something happen in your life where things have gotten so, so muddled and so confused that you can't see your way out of it. And that was where I spent uh, a lot of 2012 and 2013, just trying to feel for what's the next thing. What is the best next thing that I can do? 
And I just thought, you know, I have no choice but to trust the process. I just have to trust what's going on here. And more than anything, I have to trust my heart. I have to trust my intuition. Even if it doesn't make logical sense, I can't ignore that inner signal. I can't ignore that inner feeling of, of where I have to go. And so I just decided to go with the flow. And it wasn't always pretty. <laughs> there wasn't always a lot of certainty about where my rent money was going to come from. And it was an odd thing to have sold a business that was generating millions of dollars and then to take the revenue that came from the sale of that business and turn around and, and make an agreement for an alimony payment that was essentially the uh, money that I was getting for my business. 2013 was a hard reset. It was a year of reinvention and self-discovery. So if you've ever gone through something like that, or if you're going through something like that right now, um, I'm just here to tell you, I, I feel you. I'm, and there are things that you can do. And that's a lot of what this podcast will be about, is sharing ideas about how to move from where you are to where you really would like to be. In the fall of 2013, I had uh, just gotten off the phone with a client who I had developed a great relationship with. At this time, I had a couple of clients that I was coaching on their business, on their mindset, on their own intuition. They were getting great results, so I had job security. <laughs> and... I got off the call with a client and he was really happy. So I was happy. And I thought, you know what? I've got this, this Facebook account. You know, I've got 300 people that, that, are, that I'm friends with on Facebook. I'm going to make a video. So I took a video, made it, posted it. It was terrible. <laughs> but I knew, you know what? I have to post it. Even if I don't think it's that good, I just close my eyes and hit post. And the next day I thought, you know, I'm going to make another video. This one was in flow. This one was much better. I felt like me. It was, it was, it was just one of those times, you know? So I made the video. It was, it was 70 seconds long. I called it 70 seconds to self-mastery. And I posted it and I kind of forgot about it. A couple of days later, I look and that video had more shares than I had Facebook friends. It really seemed to resonate with people. And I thought, all right, I guess I'll keep doing this. So for the next couple of years, I just kept making these handheld videos with my phone, posting them on my Facebook account, and then paying attention to what people were resonating with. What did people want? A couple of months after that, I ended up doing my first online course called The Upgraded Life. And people liked that. And so I kept getting this reinforcement from the audience, seeing what was resonating with them, what was working for them, what were they using to get results with. That made me feel more confident. And so I just kept that trend going. And that's a trend that sort of continued to this day. And it's been an amazing journey. Um, it hasn't always been easy, but it has always been fulfilling. And I, I don't believe that life... Uh, having an easy life all the time is, is that much fun. <laughs> I think sometimes fun is in the effort. Fun is in figuring out the puzzle. But this I know, there is no reason to suffer during that process. Pain and suffering are completely different experiences. Pain is an experience, physically, mentally, emotionally. Pain is just feedback. Suffering is the story that we tell about that experience. And your ability to close the gap between where you are and where you'd like to be can absolutely be transformed. You can improve that skill of getting what you want out of your mind and getting it into your life. 
you know, getting it off of your, your vision board and onto your calendar, you know, where it's actually a part of your real life. And since I was a kid, all I've done is learn and practice and train and learn and practice and train. And I've applied this to every area of my life. And I am very pleased with the results. I'm not competing with anybody. I don't believe that competition in life in general is a useful thing. I think that creation is creating the life that you want, not comparing it to somebody else. To me, I found that a very useful way to be. And that's what this podcast and and that's what uh, this whole uh, social media experience is really about. And so over the next, uh, as these episodes unfold, it's my intention to create with you. You know, not to create for you and I I would be an idiot to presume that I know what's best for you. That's ridiculous. Uh, And in fact, there's so many great resources out there. And maybe, yeah, maybe there are resources that say this is the number one thing that you must do. And you know what? If you resonate with that, freaking go for it. Go follow that person. Go take that class. Go take that that seminar, workshop, whatever. Personally, I don't find it useful to say that there is one size fits all that everybody should do. This is a co-creation. It's a collaboration. And I have so much appreciation for you for investing your time and your energy and, and your, your own thoughts and contributing in, in that way to this experience. And as these episodes continue to unfold, we're going to bring you some really great stuff, lessons and stories from the, from the front lines of creating reality. <laughs> some of them will not be pretty. In fact, um, some of them will not be suitable for work. There may be some intense themes that we'll be discussing because this is rated R. Rated R for real. This is real life. Real life isn't always the glam and glitter that you see on, on Instagram and Facebook. Real life is gritty sometimes. I don't believe there has to be any drama with that, though. We can look at it as an interesting evolutionary experience, and we can immediately transcend the suffering and just get to solving the puzzle. And that's my commitment to you over these episodes. I will bring you some amazing interviews that will shift the way that you think. We look forward to hearing your feedback, and there will be lots of ways for you to connect uh, with me and with our team so that we can continue to advance this dialogue and take thought further than it's ever been before to take experience further than it's ever been. And if you come away from these podcasts with just one different idea about what you'd like to do, or more importantly, being reminded of the success that you've already created, be reminded of the things that you've actually done that are noteworthy, that are so easy to forget about, you know, I'm here to hold a little bit of a mirror up because you have accomplished some amazing things that maybe you haven't given yourself credit for. So I look forward to going through this sort of curious dance of creation and bringing an intelligent um, approach and also bringing some savagery so that we can explore our full nature, not only the... not only the ethereal reaches of consciousness and what does it mean to be a human being, but also let's get primal, let's get grounded, and let's get into our bodies and experience all of the sense and sensuality that this life has to offer. So if that sounds good to you, then I look forward to seeing you on the next episode or episodes. 
And, uh, and you know what, if this isn't your cup of tea, if you sat through this whole episode thinking, what the heck is this guy talking about? Then I can tell you, uh, what you see is what you get. This is probably not the best investment of your time, but thank you for stop for stopping by. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this and I, uh, am very eager to see what unfolds on behalf of the entire team. Thank you for listening. And I will, uh, See you on the next episode. This is Jesse Elder saying peace and power. 